Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, thank you for not dousing me in Gatorade. I appreciate that. But yet, but that assumes that I might make a good point some point between here. So don't assume that either, right? Hey, my name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here. If you're new with us, uh, would love, would love to get to know you a little bit more. If you just opened up this bulletin, there's a QR code at the top. We would love to hear from you. And we would love, if you're familiar around here, to share your prayer request with us as a church family. We have a prayer team that receives those prayer requests. So there's a QR code at the top of your bulletin. We would love, would love to hear from you. And has everyone stopped caring about the Super Bowl now that the Packers aren't in it? Did that like suddenly change? Um, we, don't, we don't care anymore. Um, so I'm still torn. Chiefs or Bucks? Chiefs or Bucks? I can't. Ugh. So 5.30, there's going to be a game time decision. Because I have to cheer. Like if you watch a game, you have to like feel you're a part of it somehow. Is that true? So thank you, Jen. Jen, it is good to have you back after sabbatical. It is good to have you back in person. Yeah, thank you. So we are jumping in, and we're going to do something a little different, I think, today, because, um, because I think the text helps us see um, something that has been true for a very, very long time. Uh, we around here want to be a people-helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. And that is a commission that has been true for a very long time. If you look back with me, all the way back to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God says these words to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so if you, if you think back to, to Genesis 1 and the creation of the world, we, we see this couple that God brings into uh, life, into being. And, uh, and, and things seem... Good, things seem well. And, and then all of a sudden, brokenness and sin enters the world. And, and, and it's not like Adam and Eve suddenly have this fight and their offsprings just get into bad arguments, right? Their kids actually murder <laughs> the other. And, and there's this brokenness that starts to build. And we see this brokenness continue to increase from Genesis 3 to 11. Chapters 3 to 11, this brokenness just continues to mount Uh, There's a flood, and God wipes out the people of the world and then brings small remnant back and begins to grow. And and you think, okay, so 3 to 11, then brokenness re-enters, and it's just fractured. And then we get to chapter 12, and and you think, okay, God, you're the the being that brought light into this world. You are this cosmic power that can do anything he wants to redeem humanity. What is your game plan? What are you going to do? What's the plan you have to restore people to recognizing you? What does God choose? Chooses an old man and a barren couple with no kids and says, it's through you that I'm going to bring restoration. And I just want to feel the magnitude of this strategy that God is employing, Eric. I just want to sit in that for a minute um, because... It just feels 
There's a weighty redemption plan that God has. He says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing that through you and your offspring, there's going to come someone, right? Down there we see it. Through all the families of the earth will be blessed. That through you, of all the people, not because Abraham's had something special about him, but instead God chose this guy. And then the journey continues. And we see this, this nation of Israel get a similar call in Exodus 19. We see this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, to the nation of Israel... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. That, that I, not, not that I don't care about the rest of the world, but there's this special, beautiful treasure that I have, and it's through you. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So just like there are priests in and among you, you too will be a nation of priests and a holy nation. Not perfect, but actually my instrument to demonstrate my blessing to the world. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so now we see this community, this Israelite community now being this blessing to the people around them. Does this start to sound eerily familiar of where we might be headed? Deuteronomy. Now, Moses is giving some final encouragements, final commands here at the end of his Pentateuch, at the end of his writings, and he says this, keep them and do them. Keep these commands. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Hear these words that Moses is challenging the Israelites with. Who, when they hear all of these statutes, will say, what are they going to say when they experience and encounter you? Surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that the statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? What sometimes feels like the greatest argument against following Jesus Man, sometimes it feels like it's Christians. <laughs> and yet Moses is challenging the Israelites. It's actually through you and the way you live, significantly different than those around you. People are going to recognize me. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah has this interaction where God is, is almost in this like great courtroom scene. Here's what Isaiah says. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? This courtroom scene, he, he's given us this window. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me." So this great courtroom scene is, is created, and, and God says, who are my witnesses that are going to tell about who I am? He says, let them see. And so, I think Peter now, 
is going to make a shift. Because Peter is steeped in this stuff, right? He's a Jew, and he's writing to elect exiles, and he's trying to say something profound to his readers that are scattered in this Asia Minor dispersia. And I think his same words to, to his readers are incredibly relevant to us. That you saw our title, right? Live a New Identity. He's been spending two chapters just wrecking us with our identity, and he's about to make this turn. What happens when a collection of these people are living this new identity? He's going to unpack this, I think, over the next few chapters, over the next few months for us. But he's making this turn, and I think he's beginning that now in chapter 2, verse 4. Because he's steeped in this Old Testament stuff, and I think his words are just as relevant to us. That we, in the midst of a skeptical, sometimes hostile world, get to point people to Jesus through the way we live. And so here's the words Peter's got for us this morning. And I'm going to read verse 4 to 10, but we're only going to stay in verse 4 and 5. I heard from a few of you guys, you're like, two verses for 35 minutes. How do we do it every week? That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to read 4 to 10 because I think it's one section, but we're going, to, we're going to try and cover that over the next three weeks. We're just going to do verse 4 and 5 today. But here's Peter making this turn now from individuals into a collection. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God. Does that language sound familiar like we just heard that throughout the Old Testament there? For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in zone a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. I, I laughed because my neck just started to get a little sore while I was looking up. We might need to move these TVs sooner than later. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. I think Peter is now making this turn where he's saying God has been and is continuing to build a house, but not a house like maybe we see with brick and stone, this spiritual house, not a physical house, but one of his people anchored in Jesus, worshiping him and representing his presence to the watching world. So pray with me as we try and dive into to a little bit of what Peter has for us this morning. God, thank you for your plan that you have initiated long ago and you have welcomed us. Your, you have regathered your people to be that blessing. And so we want to hear from Peter through his words, your words to us through Peter, uh, as we try and embody a little bit more fully what it means to be a holy priesthood. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So, here's where Peter starts. He's going to start here in this idea that there is one living stone. Are you guys ready? It's good to be back. I miss seeing you guys every week. So, my parents are in town. Where are my parents? There's mom and dad right there. 
all the way from Hawaii. Do you guys have any words of encouragement for them coming from Hawaii? <laughs> oh, man, yes. That was the encouragement that I received 18 months ago. But now I just feel like a Wisconsinite. I feel like after snow blowing my driveway a few times, it's a good thing. So Peter's going to start here in this turn, verse 4 and 5. There is one living stone our lives are built upon. Here's what he says. As you come to him. And this is the interesting part. Because he's making this turn. As you come to him, I love this about Peter. Peter kind of talks in circles. He's more of a circular uh, processor rather than much more linear like Paul. So I love Peter for this reason. As you come to him, what did we just hear Peter say? Verse 1 to 3, here's the previous metaphor he just gave us. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn infants. You guys remember this last week? Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up in a salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as you come to him, what, what do you think he's going to say? You would expect as newborn infants, right? You, you'd think, oh, he's going to keep this beautiful metaphor going. What does Peter do? He just chucks that metaphor and says, I'm going to start talking about stones. Like, okay, Peter, I'm tracking. As you come to him, and now he's going to start pressing in on this metaphor of building and stones. As you come to him, a living stone. Jesus being this living stone that we build our lives upon. And what's going to be interesting in verse 4 and 5, verse 4 is going to mirror verse 6 to 8. Brian's going to unpack that next week for us. And then verse 5 gets unpacked in verse 9 and 10. So as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So he's building upon this living stone metaphor that we anchor our lives upon. And sometimes it feels like in life, he says, rejected by men. How many options do we have? We look around and maybe think, oh, I, got a, I got Jesus is one of many options. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis that helps for me pull apart this idea of rejected by men. C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without the self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find, and those who knock, it is open. Jesus says, or Peter tells us, he says, this is the living stone that was rejected by men. And, and, and a metaphor that a buddy uses, he says, because I love this, thy will be done. A metaphor that helps me remind me of those two choices. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Like if there's one chair available, <laughs> if there's one chair in our heart that's available, do I sit down and I say to God, ah, my will be done. Peter's saying that's a representation of rejected by men. Instead, who sits on the throne of our heart? There's room for one. 
Who is that? That's that living stone that we anchor our lives on. That's that faith that Rick was telling us earlier about. That there's one space here and we anchor our lives to that living stone. And Peter continues then and says, so what happens when a community of people that find that Jesus precious come together? What is that? If that is the preciousness of Jesus, where we go, man, I just got room for one in my heart and that's the person I crave. I want that one guy. What happens when there's a community of people anchored in that living stone? Here's what Peter says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That preciousness, right? That throne of your heart. Not just simply like I I have the ideas about who this guy is, but there's a preciousness to who Jesus is. Chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones. So now he's going to start building on this metaphor. What happens? Those living stones are being built together into a spiritual house. And this is the beautiful thing about metaphors. I love where he goes here. You ever feel like there's a metaphor or a story that just kind of like you feel so overwhelmed by it, you, you just have to give another story or metaphor? So, so he's like, you're a house, but now not only are you the house, you're the priest in the house because this metaphor of what the church is supposed to be is so profound. He gotta, he's trying to keep giving us ideas to help us capture this. So you yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house and as a royal priesthood. So, so what do priests do? That representative, that they represent. I love this, because ideally this will be familiar. The stones aren't just hanging out by themselves following Jesus somewhere, right? Like that's enough, they... They just hang out and they want to go build their lives separate from. But there's a community following Jesus, growing together, and seeking transformation. Does that language sound familiar? That's what we around here would call a disciple. And I think it's this that Peter's referring to this holy priesthood. That these stones come together and they're building, they're building something. And so I want to walk through a few misconceptions about this spiritual house that God is building. And this comes from a book called Future Church by a guy named Will Mancini. So these aren't unique to me, but I love how he captures them. Because he's saying, we're being built in this spiritual house, this holy priesthood. What is that? And sometimes it feels like in the American church, we have these misconceptions about what that is. So, so, So test these. Test these, but here's his, I think, his interpretation of kind of what this spiritual house is. So on the left side, we're going to go through things that probably are those misconceptions. On the right side, I think more affirms what that spiritual house is. So do we go to church? Is church a place we go? Or is church a family on mission everywhere? Is, is church this place we go, or is, is it a family, a multi-generational, old and young, and everywhere in between, on mission everywhere? That this is actually like a staff meeting. We just come, we gather on a Sunday, and then we actually go. 
Is church a part of your week, your month, your year? Or is church a family on mission every single day? Not just everywhere, but this is actually a 24-7 situation. This is actually something we continue to embody week in, week out, not just something we do at certain points. Church is a dispensary, a dispensary of services. Are we consumers? Do we come here and we go, oh man, Rick, Rick was a little off key today. It just, didn't, it just didn't meet my needs today. Is this a dispensary of services? Or is church a productive community? That in the midst of our brokenness and, and, and limitations, God chose Abram, the old barren man with no kids, to be his blessing to the world. There's no plan B. This is his plan A to be a productive community. Is worship for the inspiration and enjoyment? Or is it actually something that's pleasing to God? I'll tell you, sometimes when I'm sitting around Marilyn McIntosh and when her hand goes up in worship or praise, sometimes I got to check my heart and go, where was my heart? What was I thinking about right in that moment? I was thinking about what are the appetizers we're going to have for the Super Bowl later on? Man, that, that, those olives and pickle plate, oh, that platter is going to be delicious. We were looking up, we were browsing through Walmart, and I was on my phone looking for cool apps to look up, or appetizers, sorry, cool appetizers. Um, so we do like this, artichoke dip. So good if you've never been over to our house for artichoke dip. That is like a winner. Casey's probably shaking her head. She'd be shaking her head right here if she was here. She's probably shaking her head at home going, oh, David. So what is worship pleasing to God? Where's our heart? Where's our mind at? And sometimes in this community, I'm able to reflect that when I look around next to me and I go, huh, my heart might be in a different place right now. Is ministry for the professionals. This is something we talked a little bit around here. We want to deprofessionalize ministry. That we think ministry is the opportunity for every follower of Jesus. That we want to deprofessionalize ministry. When Peter's talking about the spiritual house of living stones being built up, what does he have in mind? And sometimes that phrase, deprofessionalizing ministry, could feel so far off. Here's a phrase that I challenge you to, to speak this week. To actually live and embody ministry everywhere and every day. And it's a dangerous prayer. You want to step into ministry this week? God, what are you inviting me into today? As this spiritual house of living stones, as a royal priesthood, God, what are you inviting me into today? And don't hear me say something like the clouds are going to part and all of a sudden like there's this light beaming on someone that you need to go talk to. But I was praying this this past week and there was a conversation that came up uh, through a relationship that had been developed over these past, this past 18 months, and, and I received a call from someone who wanted to talk about some pretty significant things that are near to my heart as well, and wanted to explore just the conversation. And I go, God, you're allowing me to speak into a situation that I hadn't even anticipated. I, I didn't plan it like Tuesday at three o'clock, I was gonna have a phone call. God, what are you inviting me into today and how might you use me in this ongoing journey?
and service. Is service a means, it means activity that keeps the organization running? We got a bunch of ministries around here. Are we just spinning plates? Is, is that the essence of service? Like I have these plates I got to spin that keeps the organization running. Or the service means action that kindly helps one's neighbor. That the service we get to do collectively often takes place away from anything we see, from the rest of us get to see. That there is one living stone that we build our lives upon. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious. That he's precious to us. Through faith, we've been reconciled to this God. And then we are built together as Church of Living Stones. And then I think Peter now challenges us with this third idea. These living stones now represent his presence to the world. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus, this holy priesthood. And you heard me allude to what a priest would be earlier. Because what, what do you guys call me again? Knucklehead, that was, what, that was what Ben was thinking. He's like, what word should I actually use that's appropriate? Ah, pastor. We don't, we don't say priest. Why? Because there's not one priest according to Peter. Who does he say are priests? <laughs> hey, is everyone there? You guys doing okay this morning? <laughs> We got a new defibrillator out in the hallway. Do we need to get anybody this morning? Who does he say are priests? Man, what a concept. So when we talk about deprofessionalizing ministry, it is the priesthood of all believers. It is holy priesthood that we all participate in. And there's a guy, a theologian, and I appreciated his language on how he described priest. Here's what he said. Latin word for priest, pontifex which means bridge builder. The priest is the man or woman who builds a bridge for others to come to God, and the Christian has the duty and the privilege of bringing others to that Savior whom he himself has found and loved. That a priest gets to be God before people and gets to to represent people before God. That there is this beautiful privilege of a priest and the role they get to play. That's the the call Peter's saying. That was for Abram. (laughs) That was for Israel. And what do we see now? God's plan hasn't changed. We get to continue to embody and point people to that blessing and reconciliation with Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I love it, Peter. Peter's trying to come up with metaphors. What do I, he, you're both the house and you're the people serving in the house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And so what are those sacrifices that Peter has in mind? that these living stones live out every single day. I want to run through a few texts outside of Peter, but then I want to return to what Peter says. What are those spiritual sacrifices? 
What does Peter have in mind? The author of Hebrews says this, through him let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So what's the sacrifice? Got any ideas? What's the sacrifice Peter's calling us to? There's one from from the author of Hebrews. This declaration of the goodness of God. That our life embodies this praise and declaration of how good God is. Romans 12.1, Paul says this. What's the sacrifice of of, of, uh, spiritual sacrifice in Paul's mind? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. For Paul, what's that spiritual sacrifice? What's he saying? Go for it, Jen. Be brave, Jen. Worship. Worship. In what kind? What's, what specifically is he saying? Man. So am I supposed to like <laughs> filter, right? I almost, I, I thought, do I, so do I light myself on fire? What's he saying? Present your bodies as a sacrifice. What does he mean, present your bodies as a sacrifice? That we actually begin seeing everything as spiritual. We wake up to a spiritual world. Yeah, I'm flesh and blood. You pinch me. Yeah, my daughter has a sty in her eye. She's like, she's like doing this like for like about, <laughs> this is a bad parenting moment, right? You see her like winking at me. I'm like, babe, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Finally, we figured out we probably need to take her to the urgent care and get some eye drops and some medicine in there and a big old sty. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a physical world, but he's saying, wake up. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Seeing everything I do as an opportunity, just just, just think about it, it blows your mind. Everything you do, when you wake up and drink some orange juice, do we see that as presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. This daily activity, every day and everywhere, we're waking up to that reality. And not just internally, but there's this expression. What's another one he gives us in 1 Corinthians? Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin person commits outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. What's the spiritual sacrifice he's saying? I think he's saying the way, I mean, in our overly sexualized culture, how do we, how do we act and conduct ourselves in light of this? That being a spiritual act of worship in the way we flee from sexual immorality. One more from the author of Hebrews. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What's he saying? I think it's what Peter told us a few weeks ago, those acts of love. That act of love, sharing and doing good, this expression, that being a blessing that has continued. But I think Peter, in his context, gives us a clue. What does Peter have in mind when he says to offer spiritual sacrifices? I think we're going to see it in a few weeks. It comes from verse 9. Here's what Peter says. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, and the spiritual sacrifice is what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So around here, 
There's an encouragement we have in your bulletin today. If you pulled it out, we have this pray, watch, and step card. Because back to that spiritual house, the misconception is the first point of contact with the church is the largest programmed event. (laughs) Hear me say, we still do triple treat. Stick and love triple treat. But here's my hope in what Peter is calling us to. That a yet-to-believe person, you even hear the way that's phrased? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of positivity. I'm a fairly positive person, half class full. There's a lot, of, a lot of hope in that statement, a little anticipation. That the person that has yet to believe, their first point of contact with the church is what? Can you guys already fill in the statement? Their relationship with a believing friend outside the walls of the church. So we have this pray, watch, and step card on the back. It's not a program, right? Don't hear me say you're like, you're like making people projects. Oh, dear Jesus, help us. But a tool that helps us embody a little bit more fully what it means to be this holy priesthood that gathers collectively on a Sunday in order to be his presence everywhere we go every day of the week. But Peter compels us with one idea in there that jars me. To offer spiritual sacrifices that are what? Acceptable. That there could be ways that we offer unacceptable spiritual sacrifices. Anyone want to take a guess, like a clear marker of what that might mean? And the motives of our heart. It isn't about the behavior. So if you walk out of here and you're like, oh, all right, David just wants me to go tell someone about Jesus again. I hear this every single week from him. He just gets up there and yeah, blah, 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 yep. Jesus is precious, yep, I got it, David, I got it. He says to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. Because here's the thing. I can't actually see your heart, right? I can't actually see the motives behind your behavior. You could fool me all day long. <laughs> you could say, David, look at these positive things that I'm doing in my life. But there's a person you can't fool, right? These acceptable spiritual sacrifices that flow out of the preciousness of that living stone where we collectively as living stones get to be his presence to the world. So I got two takeaways for us this morning. And they're nothing revolutionary, nothing profound. I hope you even heard them during this morning. Is Jesus precious to me? Week in, week out, is Jesus the one that I seek to have on the throne of my heart? Is he precious to me? If that hasn't been true of your life, here's my prayer today, this moment through faith that we accept his free gift, like you heard Rick say at the beginning of our service, that through faith we get to be reconciled to him apart from anything we've done. Not by knowledge, but thy will be done. And he sits on the throne of our hearts. And the second, I don't know what it might be. 
as a living stone this week, I don't know what God might call you to. Uh, as he takes you, if you can see that wave metaphor above the waters, I, I don't know what he's bringing you into this week, but I'm going to challenge you to, to share this dangerous prayer. God, what are you inviting me into today? Pray with me. God, we, we, <laughs> we are blown away by who you are. And how Peter continually challenges us to live this new identity. So may we seek you as precious. May we find you as precious. And may we be that presence a little bit more fully this week. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory we pray. Amen. Please stand.